Welcome to the Discovering Our Scars podcast, where we have honest conversations about things that make us different. Our mission is to talk about things you might relate to, but that you don't hear being discussed in other places. Our hope is that you're encouraged to have honest conversations with people in your own life. I'm Steph. And I'm Beth. On today's show, we're going to have an honest conversation titled, Strangers Are Not the Danger. Then we'll share a slice of life and the show will close with questions for reflection, where we invite you to reflect on the conversation in your own life. Stranger danger. Stranger danger. I learned that growing up. Stranger (laughs) danger. Strangers are the danger. And it rhymes, so it must be true. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) As Americans, I do feel like we really love a catchy phrase. Stranger danger is catchy. It's pretty catchy. And I sure remember it as a kid. I grew up, I would say, in the 90s. That That was like my pinnacle of growing up time frame. Yep. And, and I grew up in the 80s. Yeah. And was so was it a thing then? Totally. Okay. So it's it's not even like a 90s thing. It's been, I wonder how long, how far back it goes. Yeah. My guess would be it was probably 70s, 80s, and 90s. Or like, yeah, maybe just 80s and 90s, but. So they don't do it in the aughts? I don't think so. So there's no more strangers. We're all friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you, what did you picture when, when you learned about stranger danger? Like, what does a stranger look like? Well, they're a. A man. Right. They're a big man. Same for me. A big scary man. They're just mean mm-hmm. and they're going to take you and steal you away from your parents and and you don't want that to happen. So you have to stay away from scary big men. Right. I have an image in my mind of who is this stranger in Stranger Danger and it's like it's a white guy who's older. He has stringy gray hair. He's bald on top mm. and he drives, of course, a white van, right? <laughs> And and he's going to come up and say, hey, kid, you want some candy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the strangers that you that we that I was warned about. Yeah. And you just got and you say no. Right. You say no. No, you're a stranger. Yeah. It's always offering you candy, too. It's always about it's always the candy. And so, um, yeah, actually, my mom went even a step further. Like I wasn't allowed to trick or treat. Because they give you candy and they might be straight. They are strangers. My mom didn't understand the concept of allowing allowing us kids to knock on the door of strangers' houses and ask them for candy. It's like, it's the thing we're told not to do. Why are we allowing that to happen one day a year? It's like every other day of the year, don't take candy from strangers. But this one day, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Well, it's like a community event. Trick or treat is a community event. So it'd kind of be like, well, I can't go to the fair well maybe you shouldn't go to the fair i can't go to like this festival or this arts and crafts festival like because there are strangers there no i mean of course there are strangers there it doesn't mean they're out to get you well i don't know i did i'm not, sorry that you didn't get i did not i will tell you i didn't go trick-or-treating until i was 17 years old wow and we went uh me and my 10 ladies uh i think there was like four of us from the group that went to um went around the neighborhood and i was dressed up like a target <laughs> and because I had this big ball thing that I wore and it was super fun. And yeah, in every house, like the kid, the, the people are kind of like, okay. And, but we'd have to tell them this is our first time trick or treating. And they would, what was it true for all of you or just you? No, it was just me. Like my okay. friends had trick or treated for years. Right. But I, um, I, was did you, excited. after you got to do it, did you feel like you had been missing out on something? No, or were you not like, at yeah. all. Not at all. Because we would go to uh, the church that we used to work at, actually. They would have a fall festival oh, okay. where they would have games that you would play and get candy. And um, they weren't strangers because they were my church. So <laughs> so I would get candy. And then every year my mom would, uh, we would go to the store the day after to get 
uh, candy oh, on sale. So we sale. always had plenty of candy. Yeah, I was not deprived of candy. That is right, not the right, concept. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, once I finally went trick-or-treating, I was like, huh, this is like a lot of work. It and is so much work. The day after, I could just get candy right. um, for sale. So I kind of see my mom's point here. I always had fun taking the kids trick-or-treating. You know, we'd get a couple of families together and we'd go out and do it. And then it was always just between my two kids, there'd be a little bit of a competition. We'd get home at the end of the night and they'd weigh their candy to see who had collected the most. Nice. Yeah. It was kind of fun. We had a good time, but we did always look through the candy, Yeah, you know, and if anything had been opened or looked suspicious. I do think though, now having experienced it as an adult, seeing children experience it, I do think it actually is a good way to introduce kids to talking to strangers without um, it being like strangers are bad. We can't talk to them. Like, I, I think it is a good way to kind of introduce kids to like how to approach a stranger and especially like, um, you know, on Halloween, there is um, people will turn on their lights and right. you'll know, OK, well, this is someone we can approach because they are wanting us to approach, you know, so it, it actually is kind of teaching you kind of signs of how to approach someone and and, um, you know, knock on the door and if they don't answer. OK, well, then we're going to move on kind of thing. So. Actually, the more I think about it, it's actually um, I think it's a it's a good way to kind of approach strangers and uh, interacting with people, because in my opinion, strangers aren't the danger. I think that's what we've titled this episode. Um, And I guess the reason I, um, you know, we kind of wanted to talk about this is because at least with us growing up, I feel like we were really taught like strangers are bad strangers. And, and, and that's where the danger is. The danger is out there from someone who is strange to you, unknown to you. Exactly. And, um, and, and this danger is very defined as a child. Like the danger is that these people are going to take you away from your family. They're going to take you. And, and you're going to end up on a milk carton. Yes. And yes. you'll be on a milk carton. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I didn't know exactly the inner workings of what would happen when I was taken. Obviously, as you get older, you understand just the horrors that they are tr- that they are like right. um, trying to know, avoid. Yeah. Trying to avoid. And, and I remember that. I remember and my mom would tell me, like, I will pick you up from school unless I tell you. Otherwise, don't get anyone's car that um, that you don't know. And even if you know them they'll they'll have to have a note or something for me right you know my mom was like very big on like strangers are bad right well we had a we had some a couple of friends who we had a system with when the kids were little and so we had a a safe word and it's like yeah if miss amy comes up to you at school and says hey your mom told me i don't i don't remember what the safe word was now like whale whale right if miss amy comes up to you and says whale then you know that i have told her she i have asked her to pick you up because i can't get there to get you yeah um, and vice versa. You know, we would do the same because we didn't just want them to randomly yeah. go home with people. If for no other reason, I mean, obviously number one is safety, but also it's really inconvenient to get to school and for your kid not to be there. <laughs> yeah. What a waste of time. Yeah. Wait through the pickup line and then not be there. Yeah. But there was this big emphasis on kidnapping and not, yeah. not all of the other ways that people can hurt children. Right. You know, not, not so much of an emphasis on, inappropriate talking or inappropriate touching or the way that predators will sometimes groom children. And now that that happens online, which is also terrifying, but I don't know that the idea of stranger danger conveys all of that. I don't think it conveys any of that really. All I know is how I was raised in the nineties. So I don't know if it's changed um, where parents are able to like talk about it more broadly. Well, I know, I mean, there's stats that say 
um, kids are harmed by like 80% of kids are harmed by somebody they know. Like right. it's a family member. Right. It's I think it might a, even be higher. Yeah. yeah. It's a, um, you know, a friend, somebody, somebody that the kids know because it's easier to harm a kid that knows you, right? Like if you're a sicko and doing bad things to kids, yeah, it's easier to get it to know the family and the kid because then they'll do what you want because they know you and um, you can be just a horrible person and do these things, do these things. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm interested, like you have young or you had young kids in the odds. They've gone and grown up. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Are they afraid of strangers anymore or are they? I don't think so. <laughs> Did you have I, the stranger danger talk with them? Instead of having a stranger danger talk, it was more about trust your gut and talk to us. Mm. So I remember when they were little, when they were preschoolers and I was really active in mothers of preschoolers, mops. I remember that someone came and, and talked to our group and we watched this video together of, of a family in the park and and they did it with a couple of different families. So you could see that it didn't matter the gender of the child, but with the parents permission and while they're watching, so everyone is safe, a man who is unknown to the child comes over and says something like, Oh, have you seen my dog? I've lost my dog. Can you, will you just, will you help me look for my dog? Mm. And they, they sort of act like they're the adult kind of acts like they're a little bit feeble and like they really need help. And, Children are taught to be helpful, right? And this person is not a stranger. He's just somebody looking for his dog. He's nice, right? He's yeah. got a dog. Who can? How can you be a bad person if you have a dog? Invariably, in these videos, the, the child would go and help the stranger look for the... And then they get farther and farther and farther away from the parent. And it was... The point of it, you know, in the video was that it was a wake-up call for those parents to realize, oh, my child wants to be helpful mm-hmm. and I've taught them about strangers. So, so then, you know, the take-home for me was... Yeah, they don't know really what I mean when I say stranger. That's yeah. not that's not good information for them. So that's where we came up with more of like, trust your gut and talk to us. And there have been times, I would say more with more with my daughter than with my son, but where she'll say to me, I just get an uneasy feeling around so-and-so. You know what? Trust your gut. You don't have to spend any time with so-and-so. And it doesn't matter if it is somebody in our friend group or somebody in our church or somebody in our family, she gets to trust her gut and we trust her gut. I do think that it has shifted some. I think that we're getting a little bit better. It's a a little bit of a tightrope because you never want to like take a child's innocence by giving them so much information about what could potentially happen to them that you have then done damage. But just saying stranger danger isn't really good enough. Yeah. It doesn't really convey everything we need to convey. The other thing that I learned around that same time with the kids was I was always hyper-focused on their behavior, especially my precious son, because he was very strong-willed and often misbehaved. And so he would spend the night at somebody's house and he would come home and I would say things like, oh, did you behave? Were you a good boy? Right. And it's like, no, that's not the right question because that suggests that whatever happened at that house was okay. Mm. And maybe it wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So the question is, you know, did you have a good time? Was that fun for you? Oh, tell me what you did. And then at some point, sleepovers just became more trouble than they were. But that's a whole nother episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I think changing the phrasing definitely, um, like you said, I think that's that is really helpful and allowing kids like asking the right questions to Mm -hmm. get a response from a kid. Like, you know, if you were to say, like, did it did you see any like suspicious people around you? Did you know? 
and anyone ask you to get in their van, like, you know, right. What are the odds that that's going to happen? I mean, I think, I think it's pretty low. It's pretty low. I think, um, the last time I looked at the statistics, cause we knew we were going to be talking about this. It was like less than 1% of children in the U S who are abducted every year are abducted in that sort of situation. Yeah. Like a fraction of 1%. So 99.9%, yeah. you know, are not abducted that way. So yeah. asking kids those yeah. questions, like, was there a person yeah. unknown to you in a white van? Like that's. Yeah. But asking them to trust their gut. And was there anything that made you feel uncomfortable or was there anything, um, you know, at the ordinary that seemed odd to you? Those kind of things I think would, would bring about those, um, those questions more than, yeah. you know, trying to be right on the nose with the stereotype. That's right. not even a thing. Right. <laughs> And, oh, who was there? You know, yeah. who who did you guys have dinner with? And yeah. then, you know, oh, there was some random adult there. Really? Tell yeah. me more. You know, you <laughs> yeah. got to get more information at that yeah. point. Or, you know, reach out to the to the other parent and say, oh, you know, my child says so-and-so was at dinner. Who's that? I yeah. don't think I've met them. Yeah, you know, exactly. You, get to, you just have to know that you have, you have to kind of give yourself permission to ask those questions. And I mean, my daughter's almost 17, she wanted to go to a party last weekend. I texted the mom. Yeah. I was like, I need the mom's phone number. Of course. And I need to be able to text her and get some information about what is really planned. And it turned out to be a very lovely, very age appropriate, calm party. And she had a great time. So what's a not calm party? Well, it's not like so, sometimes by the, by the time kids get to the end of high school, parents have kind of stopped parenting, oh, yeah. you know, and so it's like, oh, no, we're going to leave. And there's yeah. just a refrigerator full of beer. Whatever happens, happens. It wasn't that yeah. kind of party. It was like mom and dad were around. You know, there were eight kids. Nobody was out of control or crazy. So what were they doing? What did they do? They played cornhole uh-huh. and sat around the backyard talking. It was the perfect party. Were these all girls? No. Oh. No, it was five guys and three girls. And Hannah had a great time. But I did contact the mom before the party to say, okay, what's on the agenda? Oh, yeah, that's not even a question. My mom always did that. There was no question. Although towards the end of high school, it was, I always were with the same friends. So there wasn't really a question about that. Yeah, that's definitely. But most of the time, actually, my friends would all come to my house. Like that, my house was the hangout house. So my mom really didn't have to do any of that work. But all my friends' parents were like that. Like all of them were the parents that were like calling. And one of my friends said, mom was like, more protective at times than my mom Mm -hmm. and um like we went to disney together um four of us and we were 17 we were almost 18 you know next year we were going to be in college but our parents like a rite of passage that trip was for you guys yeah and our parents um you know were concerned about us driving down there by ourselves so one set of parents drove down with us, then they drove home, and then another set of parents drove down to drive back with us. That's how much our parents were like. <laughs> Where did you stay? In a hotel. You did? In Orlando. Yeah, we and we, we were alone down there, though. Yeah. I mean, we were 17, or we might have been 18. No, because it would have been senior year. I would have been 18. 18 yes. Yeah. Actually, one of one of my friends turned 18 on the, on the trip, now that I think about it. We were 18 okay. years old. I can't tell if you think that those parents were being way overprotective it's i did i thought they were it sounds spot on to me i think they did exactly i no. i think it was nice of them to let you stay alone i would have been like okay well i'll just stay next door no i thought they i thought it was a little overkill because we were 18 and we were like going to be in college the next year but i because my mom was still my mom was one of the i think my mom drove us down 
So mm-hmm. she would, and my mom didn't think that was like, my mom was all for like the parents driving and back. Yeah. Cause if we had a car trouble or something, right? No, I thought I was like, this is a little extreme. I was like, whatever, but we knew we had to do it in order to go on the trip. So I was fine with it. Although I did think it was like a little much. Let me yeah. tell you how wild we got on that trip. Did you? No, not at all. Did you? <laughs> did you get? All. Did you get ice cream like twice a day? Were you really? We wild? got ice cream. There was a McDonald's at Disney down to Disney that had flavor tip. I don't know if you've ever oh. had play, fa- flavor tip, but it was like there's very few places that have it now. It's just like the tips of the ice cream are flavored. It's very good, and we got that the first night with my mom, and then I don't think we had ice cream since oh. after we got it the first night. I don't think so. But, missed your um, chance to really get wild. We did, yeah. <laughs> we, the, I do remember we went to Universal one of the days, and we noticed how many drunk people there were at Universal, mm. compared, especially compared to Disney, because there's no one, there was no one drunk at Disney. Mm-hmm. But I remember we were like, just we kept seeing this guy, and every time we saw him, he had a new, uh, like Bud Light in his hand. Oh, wow. And I, I do remember we were very like, like, huh, oh, that's yeah, interesting. Look at that. Yeah. There's more to the story actually now that I'm talking about it. And we will probably get into that more in a possibly in two in a future episode because we're going to have a guest on who was on that trip. And during that trip, something major happened that I'm not going to talk about here. I'm going to let us talk about it in that episode. episode. Um, A big shift happened in that trip. Uh, It has nothing to do with parents or being wild. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But something did happen in that trip. Um, So I'll leave you there. But I think the reason my parents trusted me to go to Disney is because they had taught me so much about stranger danger that they knew <laughs> I was not going to get into anyone's van. Right. And I didn't. And you didn't. No. Good job. To not- this day. To this day. Have you ever gotten in a van with a stranger who offered you candy? Oh, no. <laughs> probably in someone's van. I can't think of us. I, I can't think of. But I've probably been in a stranger's van. Well, not van a minivan. Okay. Minivans don't count. Okay. Minivans are you like, like a fifteen passenger safe. van. Yeah, like well, like one of those panel vans, like yeah, like the mystery machine, yeah. but not as cool. Yeah. No, I've never been in one of those. So maybe the stranger danger lessons of our youth have worked, because we've never gotten into well a van with a stranger. I guess you could say that that concept works, but I have definitely been harmed as a child um, right. by people that I know, and it has changed has formed who i am in some negative ways and it is what it is but um yeah so i have never gotten into a stranger's van but i have been harmed by people that i know and didn't even realize it was how harmful it was because i hadn't been educated on what that what that looks like in 90 something percent of children who are sexually abused are abused by people they know Mm -hmm. 90 something percent. So being so focused on the idea of strangers and the danger is external, I think is not a reflection of reality. I think it's a reflection of adult anxiety about things that are not in their control. And I think the stereotype of stranger is like, horrifying like someone's going to take my kid on my kid and do all these things which um, would be horrible which would be horrible yes. and it it has happened it does happen it is very it's it sounds pretty rare though as yeah. the you know um and i do know though like there is like human trafficking which is a right. whole nother conversation where right. people are literally just taken which is terrifying but that's not specifically what you know we're talking about 
And I think, so I think the concepts of the stranger danger that has kind of been perpetuated is horrible, but I think something that's more horrible that people aren't even willing to face is people, you know, harming your kid. Like, I think that's even too hard to comprehend and to think because I know I was harmed as a kid and I have told family members and I've told friends and they refuse to believe me. They refuse to understand. They refuse to, I mean, they still spend time with those people that harmed me and that, you know, so I think that is even too hard to comprehend and to even fathom that somebody that you know would do this to a kid. So I think there's a lot of people that just refuse to believe to believe this. And so it's easier just to tell kids, this is stranger, this is bad, but this is too hard for me to comprehend. So I'm not going to even go there. I wonder how much of that stranger danger education kind of conditioned our parents, you know, the parents of my generation, the parents of your generation, to look for that external threat rather than being aware of the potential internal threats, you know, in the family, in the friend group, in the social group, in the church. I don't know what the stats are, if it's gotten worse or if this has always been. Like, the harm to kids has always been within the family, within the friend group. It's always always been a a huge percentage has always been people that um, that you know in some capacity, which is odd to me that like it has been for so long that this has been an issue and like it doesn't seem to it still doesn't seem to be the focus. Like I right, you know that's a great point. and when I mean by focus, like I don't know what's being said in in individual families, but a lot of how kids interpret the world is through TV and through right. advertisements and things like that. And I'm not, I'm not seeing those. I'm not seeing like trusting your gut. And, um, you know, if something doesn't feel right with anyone you're with, you know, tell, tell a trusted adult, like I'm not seeing that kind of, um, understanding that is necessary for, for kids to really be able to communicate when something feels wrong. I bet you're right that it has always, this has always been true, you know, that it's really not an external danger although the external danger exists, that's yeah. not the primary danger mm-hmm. because I think predators are going to take the easy path. And so it's the kids that they have access to. Yeah. So it's not going to be a child who is a stranger to them. Yeah. It's going to be the child who trusts them or whose family trusts them. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good point that you're making that that has always been true. And yet our focus has still been external. There was a, situation in Tallahassee where a a youth director somewhere locally harmed a lot of kids. I feel like I should know more about that. I kind of remember hearing about it, but I don't remember any of the details. But all all that to say is a youth group, right? a youth group where you would think is a safe place to send your kid. It should be. It should be a safe place. this guy is, and I don't know the full details, but I'm assuming this guy was, you know, grooming these kids, was, Mm -hmm. you know, becoming their friend, was helping them connect with God, was helping them with their, with their troubles in their life, and then, you know, harm them in some horrible way. I think he's in jail. Uh, I think that's, you know, something very, you know, you can fill in the blank with how he harmed these kids, something bad. Um, And, and I don't think that's unique to Tallahassee. I would think that's probably a, a tale as old as Beauty and the Beast, probably. I was just looking it up. Yeah. I don't remember his former name. youth pastor 
What did he do? Was it sexual? Yeah. With with he all genders or sentenced to twenty five years after pleading no contest, which is not the same as pleading guilty. What does no contest mean? I don't want to answer. Yeah, it means I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. Okay. You say I'm guilty. I'm not going to argue. Yeah. But I'm not going to admit I did it. Yeah. Well, why would he? Um, Sentenced to 25 years in prison on 11 counts stemming from various sex offenses against at least 10 children between the ages of 11 and 15. The abuse occurred between 2007 and 2015. He was also sentenced to 15 years in prison on second degree felony charges and five years on third degree felony charges. Oh, gross. This is what he said at his sentencing. I publicly apologize. I want to apologize to God, apologize to family and friends for the way I've hurt them for the things I've done Sincerely apologize to the families I've hurt. That was never my intent. I was stupid. My relationships were always sincere. (laughs) I don't want to drag them through a public trial. I apologize to my church and the court of Tallahassee for dealing with this. I know God will do his will. I seek God's mercy. I think it was all boys. Because the prosecutor Mm -hmm. says the most disturbing part is the defendant's role to the young boys and their families. Their youth pastor, their role model, someone their parents trusted. Instead, he used that to manipulate them sexually. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in jail now? Mm-hmm. Don't they usually not do well in jail? I've heard that, but I, yeah. don't, I don't know. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't do well in jail because a lot of the people in jail are victims of sexual abuse. And so I think that they are able to channel their hatred and anger towards their abusers on yeah. the people who are... And I think that's like unforgivable and and like with many people is crimes against kids. Yeah. I mean, he was probably abused as a child. No, I'm not saying that makes it okay. I know. Yeah. Probably horribly. Yeah. Abused by some man in his life. Yeah. I did have an inmate ask me last weekend if I believed in generational curses. And Hmm. I was like, actually, I do. What do you mean by that? Well, because in the Bible, it says, you know. You'll be cursed to the fifth generation if you do certain mm. things. I was like, but the way that I see it play out is unresolved hurt mm-hmm. gets passed on to the next generation. Yeah. And it piles on and it gets passed on and passed on. Yeah. I was like, so I definitely see generational harm yeah. going from generation to generation. I was like, why? What do you think? And he was like, I think it's real. Okay. I don't think it's um, a curse that you can't break, though. Right. Like, I think it's, you know, curse makes it seem like a... Um, a wicked witch mm-hmm. put it upon you and you can't get out of it. But right. um, like you have to break, break the, you have yeah. to get some of their magic spell involved yeah. or, and but it's you, like, not that. Yeah. But you do have to break it. Like you have to make the choice and you have to have the courage to find a way to break it. I mean, yeah. so if you want to continue with the magical thing, you can't. Okay. Right. But you, and you can, you can break that curse. Right. Um, but you have to put the work in and you have to recognize it and not just let it consume you. Yeah. Cause I mean, jails full of people that yes have been so hurt and harmed and right. just continue that cycle they've been hurt and harmed by people who were hurt and harmed yeah. who were hurt by you know it's mm-hmm. that it is generational yeah it is you know i think one of the reasons that parents get really focused on an external threat or why in the 80s and 90s at least they were so focused on external threats is that there's a real sense of shame that happens with the the baggage in our own families. And so I think that makes, makes it harder to see. Mm. Um, but also gets really complicated when we want to 
teach our kids like you're part of a loving family and you should love all the people in your family because they love you. And then when somebody violates that trust, I think it, I think there's a lot of shame around it, but I feel like you have been brave to break that sort of cycle of shame by writing your book because you weren't harmed by a stranger. Um, yeah, I definitely think I, I feel like there's a, there's a big percentage of people that harm people have been harmed themselves. Mm. And there is a cycle of harm that happens where, um, you know, this happened to me and some, something horrible happened to them as a child and they weren't willing to willing or able to face it. And then they just continue that on children when they're older and just kind of that cycle happens. And I know for me, like, I know these things are happening, but I just feel like they're not discussed and they're not like put out in the open and they're kept in the dark. And um, so I felt like it was really important for me to share that because it didn't feel like it was getting shared in the amount that it needed to. So yeah, so I did kind of talk about what happened to me as a child. I've done a lot of work. I think that's that's a big thing is it's really, it's hard to find this stuff out and to realize that you can't just say, okay, well, moving on. Right. Like there's a lot of work that needs to be done to, to be able to process and move forward in a healthy way. And shame is one of those things that, you know, we, I think we try to tuck it away into like a secret place because it's hard to think about. It's hard to deal with, but it, but it just kind of grows there in the darkness. And then once you put light on it, it really kind of lessens or sometimes it even completely evaporates because we share things that we're ashamed of and realize I'm not the only one that's gone through that. Yeah. Right? And I think that you're finding that with your book. I think people, you know, have reached out and said, that was really brave and really helpful to me that you shared that story. And it's why we do this podcast, right? Because we want people to be having these conversations. Yeah, exactly. Well, we do have a lot of fun making this podcast and we hope that we are encouraging you and helping you and inspiring you to have some honest conversations in your own life. We've heard from some of you that you wonder what is the best way to support us. So we've decided to expand the podcast experience using buymeacoffee.com. You can go there and buy us a cup of coffee or actually Steph will use the money to buy tea and it's okay. It's okay. I want to say thank you to everybody who has done that, who's gone there and and supported us in that way. We really appreciate it. You can become a monthly supporter and that'll give you access to PDFs of each week's questions for reflections. We also put pictures on there and outtakes, polls, all kinds of good stuff. The kinds of things that we would normally put on social media, if we had a social media, but we decided to not do that for the podcast. And so when we post on Buy Me A Coffee, you'll get a little email with the post so you can go right to it and not have to kind of look through all of the the noise of social media. Um, and I do want to mention that I went back to Starbucks for the first time drive through the other day and I got me a venti iced tea. So thank you so much. I enjoyed it and I will be back. Well, as Beth mentioned, uh, you can definitely join us, uh, on uh, buy me a coffee. Um, also, if you want to um, hear about more of what's going on and support us in other ways, we both have um, websites and we both have weekly newsletters where we will send you some updates on um, on the latest podcast. And Beth has devotions available on her website. And so Beth's website is 
bethdemi.com. And probably at the top, you can sign up for the newsletter. That's right. You sure can. Yes. And my website is SMK author, Stephanie Marie Kostopoulos, <laughs> author, um, dot com. And um, I when I think there's a button there. <laughs> I think it will just pop up when you're on the website uh, to sign up. And they can also buy your book there, which we talked about a little bit in today's episode. They can order a copy of Discovering My Scars there and you'll get it shipped out to them right away. Yep, we'll do that. So, Beth, do you have any weird news for me today? I do. Do you remember a few weeks ago? I'm sure you remember that you had like an infestation of large birds in the backyard. That was months ago. And I don't need to be reminded that was terrifying. (laughs) And the dogs didn't want to go out, especially Tosh didn't want to go back there. Yes, there was birds of prey circling my neighborhood specifically my backyard so this woman in southern california is having a similar problem she has had 15 to 20 condors which are like i think the largest bird in north america they have a nine foot wingspan oh she's had 15 to 20 of them decide to roost on the railing of her back deck and on her roof and they've torn up um she has like one of those like hot tub spa things on the backyard they've completely torn up uh she has it on her deck i mean and they've completely torn up the cover to it and she said that they've like knocked over flower pots and destroyed them and she's an animal lover and Mm -hmm. she actually sort of lives in the middle of nature so that she can observe nature Mm -hmm. but she's like this a little bit too close (laughs) a little bit too close and um And it's just incredible because there aren't that many of these birds. I remember we talked today about, you know, that I grew up in the 80s. And I remember learning in school that there were really only a few condors left and that they were going to have to be bred in captivity to try to kind of reinvigorate this population. And apparently it has has been a somewhat successful effort. Um, But so she I mean, she had like. If, if there are 400 condors in the world and she had 20 of them, you know, oh at gosh. her house and in the pictures, which we'll post in the show notes, um, each of the condors is tagged Wow! because there are so few of oh, them that, yeah. you know, they're tracking them. Wow. Um, so they each have a tag on them. And she called wildlife officials and was like, I, I'm not going to hurt these birds. Yeah. I'm, I'm not that kind of person, but I want them to stop tearing up my house. And by the way, the excrement is a huge mess. She mm-hmm. said that it forms into like concrete basically and she can't get her deck clean mm. she just had her deck redone anyway Aww. they told her to go outside and make loud noises and if that didn't work to gently spray them with a hose oh and so that's what she was trying to do she was like spraying them with a hose to get them off her roof so i hope she's having some luck i hope she's Whoa. no longer dealing with a condor infestation but when i saw that it oh made me gosh. think of you well and yeah mine was probably a couple days and it was like off and on it wasn't like the whole time there was a ton of bird poop in my backyard though yeah. like a ton and so it just in my situation it was annoying i can't even imagine what it must be for them to like be that big and be because they were they never came like down onto my air they were just in the trees above uh, but there was bird feathers and there was poop everywhere. It was like, yeah, it was, and then it scared Tosh and she wouldn't go out to the bathroom, which you can imagine is super enjoyable when you have a dog that I don't <laughs> want going inside. <laughs> yeah. Create some other problems. Yes. <laughs> no, no, that's where Tosh needs to be going. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of each episode, we end with questions for reflection. These are questions based on today's show that Beth will read and leave a little pause between You can also find a PDF of them on our Buy Me a Coffee page. Number one, did you learn about stranger danger growing up? How did you picture the stranger who would endanger you? Number two, do you trust your gut? Why or why not? 
Number three, do you remember a time as a child when you felt uncomfortable? Was it with a stranger? Did you talk to a grown up about it? And number four, as an adult, what do you do when you feel uncomfortable? This has been the Discovering Our Scars podcast. Thank you for joining us. Oh,